just a week or two from Romans chapter 12 to a message that God gave me. This message was given to me for me. And um, I, I want to tell you guys, we're, we're, we're thirsty. And we don't even know we're thirsty. And church is becoming ever increasingly about this divide, fighting for your rights and pursuing this and doing this. And it's moved away from what it's really about. It's about Jesus Christ and Him crucified. This week, just perusing through some church services online and looking, there's awful lot of us in Christianity and very little Jesus anymore. Yet Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. We're not lifting up Christ. I was in Wendy's in Wheelersburg, and I can't verify the, 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 the truth of this. Last night I saw a girl that used to ride one of our vans. And she was telling me, she said, you know that my little sister that came with us? I said, yeah, I remember. And she walked around behind the counter and she whispered to the mayor, my mom killed her. And I think, you know, if that's true, thank God for Awana. Thank God that someone drove a bus and picked that little girl up. We're so concerned with making sure that the music is right. We're so concerned with not messing up the carpet. Making sure that everything is in order in the church. And we miss the whole purpose. It's become so complex. It can't be just about Christ. In the gospel, the... In uh, Galatians, Paul said, I'm so, I, I, I'm, I'm perplexed. Who, who's bewitched you? In the Gospels, they said, who's, they've moved from the simplicity that's in Christ. In John chapter 4, and I know you feel like you've been in a, liturgical service where you're up and down, up and down, up and down. But God's word is worthy of our honor. Would you stand with me? John chapter 4. Therefore, verse 1, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that he had, Jesus had made and baptized more disciples than John, Though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples did. He left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed, he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. 
which is noon, Jewish time. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Absolutely he is. I had to just say that right there. Who gave us this well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that as Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Father, bless the reading of Your Word. I pray for these moments that You would just so invade our lives. Every pocket of our lives, Lord. God, I just pray that you would consume us with your thoughts of you and your glory and your magnificence. And Lord, that we would be delivered from ourselves and worrying about our situations, our problems, our circumstances. Worrying about all this is too loud, is too quiet. All these things, Lord, just get them out of our minds and help us to see you. And look to you. And love on you because there's no one like you. God, we need a God-sent revival. And may you prepare us and may you 
Send your fire down upon us, God. Change us for your glory. God, we need you. I need you desperately. God, help me. Help me to give your words, the message you've given to me, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I was reading in 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 3, and this struck me. And all this is coming together. And as God is doing all this and I'm studying this, and Eugene texts me and calls me and says, hey, we've got to change some things. And I said, oh my gosh, that's funny. How coincidental. I'm just kidding. I've been dwelling on the same thing. When I read this passage of Scripture in 2 Chronicles 7, 3, when all the people of Israel saw the fire coming down and the glorious presence of the Lord filling the temple, they fell down on the ground and worshipped and praised the Lord, saying, He is good. His faithful love endures forever. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere at the same time. He is present in our services, and if we don't recognize His presence, it's on us, not on Him. But how can we recognize His presence when we've got so much going on in our lives and so much in the world that we we got to do this, we got to do that, and you know, hurry up if the preacher gets out of here on time, we can get out of here and we can go get our stuff done. We only have one day; Sunday's the only day I can do this, and I've got to get this done. And can you believe what she's wearing? Can you believe what so-and-so said to me? How in the world can we recognize the presence of God when we're so consumed with ourselves and we're so consumed with the world? We're singing a song about what Jesus Christ has done on the cross of Calvary for us and we're singing about a wonderful, merciful Savior and we're distant. We're bored, we're yawning, we're hurry up and get to the message and let me get my tithe, I've done my duty for the week and let me get out of here. Yet, the scripture gives us something totally different when someone encounters the glorious presence of the Lord. They fell on their face and didn't say, oh, I can't sing. They sang, they praised the Lord. However it was in broken voice or in off key or whatever all that stuff means, melody, didn't matter. They were so consumed with the Lord, their mouth had to speak. And I come to this glorious passage. Jesus says, I have to go. To understand it in our vernacular, I have to go to Samaria. Lord, why do you want to go to Samaritans? We don't like the Samaritans. Remember, Lord, Samaria was the capital of the northern kingdom. And it was there when the Assyrians invaded them that those Jews intermarried with the Assyrians and they have these, pardon my expression, half-breed kids. They're half-Jews and they're half-pagans. Why do we have to go to Samaria? They're filthy. They're dogs. Why, Lord, do we have to go there? Jesus says, i got to go. I have to go. There's a shorter route, Jesus. I've got to go. And he goes, being weary, and he sits down, and he sends the disciples to go get food. Why? Because he doesn't have time to deal with the pharisaical attitude of the disciples. Why in the world is he talking to this woman? He's about to share something revolutionary with this woman. And he don't need the religious zealots 
interfering with it, interjecting their comments about her behavior. He's not worried about her behavior. He's worried about her heart. And so he comes to this woman and he says, hey, give me a drink. And she is staggered. Number one, no Jew will, man, Jewish man would be alone with a woman that has a reputation like that. It would damage his reputation. Let me tell you what, Jesus didn't care about that. Because in the very following passage, he talks about, they said, you better eat, Lord, you better eat. And he said, hey, I got food that's not of this world. He said, my meat is to do the will of the Heavenly Father. I'm on mission with the Heavenly Father. And what I'm doing with this woman is more important than the sustenance to get you physically through the day. And so he says, give me a drink. And she says, well, why would you ask me to give you a drink when you, we know that you do not have dealings with us? You Jews have no dealings with us. And he said, oh, lady, if you only knew, if you only knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would ask, and I would have given, given you living water. The woman says, what? Are you greater than Jacob? Oh, let me tell you. There is no one like our God. There is no one that stepped out of the boat and walked on the water. There is no one when the disciples were fearful for their life, he stands up and says, Peace be still when the wind stopped. There is no one that reached down and picked up the ear of Malchus in which Peter had cut it off and put it back on just like that. There's no one that took a few loaves of fishes and uh, a few loaves of bread and some fishes and fed all 5,000, including men and women. There's no one like our God. There's no one that ever took and spit in the clay and went like this and put it on the eyes and they could see. I love how Jesus does things. He never does the same thing twice because people would always replicate it and act like it. There's no one like Jesus. Are you greater than our father Jacob? Yes, indeed, he is. And he identifies the problem. He says, woman, if you drink this water, you're going to thirst. You know what Jesus is saying? Please hear me out. Jesus is saying that you and I and every human has a God-shaped void in our heart. We have a thirst a longing that can only be fulfilled by God himself. Money can't fill it. Material possessions can't fill it. Love and romance can't fill it. Nothing can fill it. Only Jesus Christ can fill that void. And Jesus says, as long as you continually come to these things, though in physical in nature, and try to satisfy that longing in your heart that God put there, you will thirst. But there's a better way, he says. There's a better way. Let me tell you something, Christians. We're living in an age where we've bought into the rat race. We Christians are running around being living just like the world. We got, the world's got us tied in knots. They got us afraid that we can't do this, we can't do that. Let me tell you something. There's a better way. 
Jesus looks at that woman and says, Listen, if you drink of the water I give you, you will never thirst again. She's still thinking physical, great, I'll take it because I don't want to come to this well. I'm tired of coming and getting water. I want indoor plumbing, Lord. Yeah, I thank God for indoor plumbing, amen. But he says, that's not what I'm talking about. You're drinking in that well. When you think you'll find happiness in your career, you're drinking in that empty well. When you think you'll find happiness in your spouse, you're drinking in that empty well. When you think if I just get this next latest and greatest, you're drinking of that empty well. It's going to leave you thirsty. How many parents have experienced this on Christmas Day? You go through holy jihad to get, remember when it was Tickle Me Elmo? Grown men fighting over Tickle Me Elmo? It was cracking me up, man. They're fighting over this Tickle Me Elmo. We've got to have Tickle Me Elmo. They get it for Christmas, and the kid gets it and plays with it for an hour, and then goes on to something else. You know why? Empty wells. Empty wells. But God says, I can give you a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Continually being nourished, continually being supplied, and that only comes from Christ. What's he talking about? He's talking about worship. What do I, how do I know about worship? Well, because it immediately turns to worship. You Jews say that you worship in Jerusalem, and we say you worship on the mountain. See, <clears throat> when the Jews started hating the Samaritans, the Samaritans reciprocated that hate, and they built their own temple up on the mountain. And that's where they worship. And that's why she's referring to that. And Jesus is letting her know that worship is, number one, not about a place. This is a building. When the Lord raptures us out, the tribulation crowd gets it. It's just a building. Now it belongs to God, and we take care of it because it's His. But it's just a building, and worship is not a place. Number two, worship is not about tradition or culture. How do I know that? Well, you know what she says? She says, well, we know where we worship and we know where you worship. And Jesus says, no, you don't. You don't know what you worship. So it's not about tradition or culture. You know, we can only worship the Lord. And I heard a guy tell you, it was like he, he took this whole video service and took the keys on a piano and tried to say, if you have a... a, a I don't even know what this means, so I may be getting a butchering it. But just bear with me. Just shake your head and act like it's a good illustration. But he said, if you do this in a so much of a faster beat and pitch and etc., that it's not biblical. Are you kidding me? Was it not God who created music? But it's got to be. It's got to be. Oh, we got to chant like monks. Monks. Worship doesn't have to be boring. You know why worship is boring? Because we're not focused on Jesus. You be a good little Baptist, wear your suit and tie. We'll play the piano. The only instrument in heaven is the piano. The only instrument in heaven is the piano. But the psalmist says, play the stringed instruments. Clang the cymbals. But wait a minute. 
they might think we're charismatic. I doubt anybody will ever accuse us of being charismatic. Do you realize that every song in that hymn book was one time a new song? And do you realize that every generation, do you know when they first introduced the piano in church, they did not want it in church? If you've studied church history, you know why? Because they equated it with a bar room instrument. Most Baptist churches think that the piano is sacred. It's interesting to me that if you study through the Old Testament, you you see worship was very instrumental. There were the blowing of the horns. There were the pounding of the drums. There was the clanging of the cymbals. Every stringed instrument, a harp. Listen, God created music. Should we not enjoy it for His glory? It's not about a feeling or emotion. Well, preacher, you know, I just feel like I'm not getting anything. What? what? Okay, I'm not going to be mean, but I'm going to tell you the God's honest truth. If you come to church to get something, you are dead flat wrong. There is nowhere in the scripture it says it is our job for you to get something. As a matter of fact, it says you come to give. We come to worship the Lord. We come corporately to magnify, to glorify His name, to attribute worship to Him. And in that, He reveals Himself to us. And we get charged up to go out into the world in which we should be out there, outside these walls, serving the Lord. Guys, we bought into this easy Christianity where we can come to church and claim to be a Christian and go out in the world and there's no difference in our lives and nobody sees the glory of Christ. It's not about a feeling or emotion. Well, I feel like, you know, I just feel like that so-and-so is, you know, judging me. If you're focused on Christ, who cares? Do you realize... I'm going to stand before Jesus. Well, my psyche was damaged because so-and-so didn't like the way I sang. Come on, man. See, we missed the whole point. And she misses the whole point. Man, give me this water so I don't have to come back to this well. I want it to be easy. Let me come to church. Let's sing two or three songs. Don't go too long. If you sing four or five songs, we're getting too musically and too much music. We're moving away from from the Lord and moving in the Spirit. If we get another song and the preacher preaches 45 minutes, then we'll be late to the restaurant. But can I tell you right now, listen, until we get to the place where we need God more than we need our next bite of food, that's the constantly way we're going to be. Everything else is going to take preeminence over Christ. And you're going to be thirsty. And I'm going to be thirsty. And we're going to jump from church to church to church trying to find a place. And we go for a while because it's new and it's fresh and it's inviting and it's entertaining. And wow, it's wonderful. Until it gets boring and old. And so on and so forth. Which tells us that we're like this woman I want you to give me this water so it makes it easy on me. 
Can I ask you a question? Have you read about the disciples? The disciples and how their lives ended? Some were sawn asunder, stoned, left for dead, put in boiling water, banished to the Isle of Patmos, crucified upside down because Peter didn't think himself worthy to be crucified in the same manner of Jesus Christ. Have you ever even imagined being tied to a stake with a bundle of wood? I mean, I'm talking a massive bundle of wood underneath you, and that bundle is lit on fire, and as the fire is lipping up, and burning the people in, in, in pain and humility. They're praising God as they died in the early church. And you can't make it at 1030? Are you kidding me? What kind of Christianity are we? It's not about style. Well, you know, I like the new stuff. And you all just do too many of the hymns and... It's too loud, and it's not loud enough, and oh my gracious, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? And she's like, give me this, I want it to be easy. Let me come to church, let me give a little bit, we'll sing a few, you preach. Preacher, I'll raise my hand, we'll pray, we'll go home, and now I can get on my agenda with the rest of the week. I got Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. You got to do all this. Blah, 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 blah. Where's Christ? Where is Christ? And we look at the world and say, they're a mess. Hello? They're a mess because they don't have Christ. We have Christ. We have no excuse. Worship is about drinking the life-giving water. When I stand and sing, wonderful, merciful Savior, I'm drinking the water of lifting the name of Jesus Christ up. It's not about me. Worship is the only thing that can quench our thirst. And it's not limited to Sunday morning. It's every day. So what does Jesus teach us about worship? Let me just go a couple of things quickly. I'll move quickly. In verse 23, Jesus says, But the hour is coming, and now is. There's no time like right now. The only day you have is today. You can't say, Tomorrow I'm going to do this, that, or the other. You can say it, but it don't mean you're going to make it. There are people your age and my age dying every day. The only time we have is now. I'm going to do it. Who starts? My, my wife and kids make fun of me because... I've started so many diets on Monday, it ain't even funny. Is anybody with me? Come on now. Don't leave me hanging out here by myself. All three of you honest people. It's always on after, well, Sunday, let's go get a good meal on Sunday because tomorrow I'm starting, right? And what do you do? Dairy Queen on Monday, <laughs> you know, <laughs> banana split. Why, am I la- why are we laughing? Because it's true. Here's why. So all we have is now. There's no time like the present. Jesus is saying, listen, and he had to send the disciples away. Why? Because the nature of, of, <laughs> of pharisaical Christians. We want to criticize what God's doing right now in the situation. Man, that, that person there, do you know what they did? Well, listen, do you, do you want me to tell what you did? There's no time like right now. 
Every Sunday morning we have an appointment with God. We're haphazard. We're haphazard about it. If we start at 10.31, 10.32, 10.35, it doesn't matter. Why are you, why are you uh, preaching on this, Pastor? I'll tell you why. Because we've got an appointment with God. That's why. And we forgot to be reverent to Him. If we come whenever, we come whenever. If it starts, it starts. It's no big deal. And I'm not, if you're late today, I'm not picking on you. I'm sorry. I'm just telling you, this is my heart, my passion. We've moved from now is the time to worship. We come through those doors. We ought to be focused, laser focused on Jesus Christ. God, show me your presence. I've got to have the life-giving water. Got to have it. Number two, he tells us, But the hour is coming, and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. That tells me there is true worshipers and there's false worshipers. Ooh. How do we distinguish? Well, Jesus said true worshipers worship in spirit and in truth. What does spirit and truth mean? Well, it's interesting. The word spirit here is not capitalized in any translation. No English translation is capitalized spirit, which is not talking about the Holy Spirit. When he says you must worship in spirit and truth, he does say God is spirit. That is capitalized. And because he is spirit, we have to worship in spirit and truth. What does it mean? Spirit, spirit literally means, he's not talking about the Holy Spirit, but he's saying that it, worship is not just external, but it is inwardly with the proper heart attitude, with your spirit on the inside. You can raise your hands, you can do jumping jacks, run with a hanky, flip-flops, I don't care. If the inward heart is not in tune with the Lord, you are not worshiping Him. You're not worshiping Him. And listen, I've heard things like this. One guy told me, he told me something, he said, you ought to shut your church down and bring them to our church on Sunday night and see our choir. And I said... In my mind, I'm thinking, are you out of your mind? Where's that biblical precedent? See, here's what happens. We get a gifted, and Eugene's a gifted worship leader. By the grace of God, Eugene don't know how good he is. And that's humility. I'm going to tell you something. But there are many people who worship, they're worship leaders, and they're pastors. I quickly run over to Revelation chapter 22, and I just want to show you this one thing, because this jumps out at me. Last chapter in the Bible, John receives a revelation. Man, he's completed the revelation. In Revelation chapter 22, verses 8 and 9, now, John, now I, John, saw and heard these things, and when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Then he said to me, See that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant, and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. Worship God. Don't you do that. Don't you fall down and bow down. Oh, I follow this, follow, I follow that. No, you follow Jesus Christ. Any man that leads you to worship him and follow him is a heretic. Is in competition with the Lord Jesus Christ. Worship in spirit and truth. Spirit is in that heart attitude. And let me say, it does denote passion. We can be passionate about the things we like. We can be at a ball game and yell and scream and cheer for our team and, you know, I mean, if you like sports and you're thinking sports, there's nothing that controls your attitude like sports. When your sports team's winning, you're good. When your team's losing, you're bad. Now, if you're a Reds fan, you're used to losing, so no, it doesn't really affect you anymore. I'm telling the truth, Brian? Okay, thank you, brother. 
but we still love our team. But I'm just saying this, listen, all these things control our attitudes. And we can be passionate about it. What makes grown men go in the middle of Wisconsin, shave their chest hair, a letter in their chest hair, and put cheese on their head in the middle of a snowstorm? We can be passionate about a bunch of other things, but when are we truly passionate about Jesus Christ? John is saying worship is spiritual and God is spirit. And worship, in worship, God reveals himself to us. He reveals himself to us. It's in our spirit or our inside that our heart is moved. But now that has to be balanced with truth. Worship always has to be consistent with the revealed scriptures. Because how do we know God? We know God based on his word. So there has to be truth. You can't just make up things about God. That's idolatry. You worship him for who he is. How do we know who he is? This book tells us who he is. It means also sincerity. It's a serious matter. It's not something we just... And done. We're serious about it. Notice what, in verse 23, what Jesus says, But the hour is coming, and now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Now watch this. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. How many of you have heard this phrase, Well, I just want to glorify God. The Father is seeking People that will worship him. You want to glorify God? You do what he's seeking. And he is seeking those men and women. He didn't say those of you that can sing versus those of you that cannot sing. God's not in heaven saying, oh my goodness, can you hear the way that guy's singing? That's ridiculous. God wants your heart. God wants your heart. There's a fella who I think of from time to time that used to be in this church. I won't say his name. As soon as I say, start talking about him, everyone in here was here when he's here. You'll know who he is. He'd come to me and he said, Pastor, I, I, I got to sing a song. And I was like, oh. I mean, he had biscuits and gravy on his shirt. He'd get up here, his hair wasn't combed. Half times pants weren't unzipped or were unzipped. He'd get up here and he'd sing and it wasn't really good. I, I'm just honest. I'm, I'm not saying I'd sing better. But I don't get up here and sing, you know, publicly. And he did it. And, you know, I felt myself sometimes being very critical, thinking, you know, who are you to judge that man on his heart? That's right. What a sinner I am. Listen, he was sincere. His heart was in tune with the Lord, and he would sing Jesus, Jesus, and Thank God for people like that. He knew more about worship than I did. Spirit and truth. And the Father is seeking such to worship Him. And notice this. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming. Who is called Christ? When He comes, He will tell us all things. And Jesus said, I who speak to you am He. 
if ever was a dun-dun-dun in the movies, that was it. Because look what happens. Here comes the disciples. And they marveled that he talked with a woman, yet no one said, what do you seek? Why are you talking with her? They're all wondering, what in the world is he doing talking to this woman? Does he not know our customs? Does he not know who she is? But it's interesting. John's the one that interjects. Because John was there, the disciples come back. Jesus is not focused on his disciples. He is in a conversation with her, and she is with him. When he says, I am he, she drops her water pots and she runs. And she goes into the city, verse 28. The woman left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, Come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. Let me tell you something. Worship is between you and Jesus Christ. It's no one else's business. It's between you and Jesus Christ. And if you have pride in your heart where you, I can't, you know, publicly do that, or, you know, I might cry. Well, listen, who cares about that stuff, man? Focus on Christ. If you focus on Christ, you drown out all that other noise. And I'm telling you, you'll receive the life-giving water. You will, you will experience Christ. You will experience Him in all of His glory. This woman, and I'm going to tell you, there are some natural outcomes of this. One of, the, one of the telling features of how I know we're not genuinely worshiping you, preacher, you're being judgmental, you don't know my heart. I'm just telling you, we're not seeing people saved. The natural outcome of spending time with Jesus is that we'll tell other people. Now, we're spending a lot of time stroking our egos and making us feel good about ourselves and making us feel comfortable in our sin, but we're not spending a lot of time focusing on Jesus Christ. How do I know that? Because we're not telling people. You look throughout the Scriptures, the people that encountered Christ... And saw him for who he was, they couldn't help but not tell him. Jesus told in an account in the gospel, he revealed who he was and he told them not to tell. You know what they did? They went and told. You know why? Because they couldn't help themselves. They could not help themselves. Secondly, the disciples see all this going on and they try to change the conversation to food. In the meantime, his disciples urged him to eat, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore, disciples said to one another, has he, has he bought anything to eat? They're oblivious to what's going on. And Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. This woman runs, let me just tell you the end of the story. She runs into town, she tells everybody, and they're like, you're off your rocker, woman, we'll go to see. And they come and see, and they said, listen, we, at first we heard, and we kind of believed, but now we've seen you, we believe. They noticed a change in that woman. They wanted to find out, so they came to Christ for themselves and found out. Another outcome is others will notice the change in our lives. Someone told me that goes to another church. He said, I've been going to this church for a long time. He said, I don't think there's any, any, any gossip in this church. He said, no one has come to me 
and gossiped. I said, hallelujah, that's a good thing, you know. Number one, that means either they're afraid that you're different and that you won't receive their gossip, or number two, there might not be gossip in the church. Either way, it's a win-win situation, right? But when you have been with Christ, people will take note. You know what they said of the disciples? We perceive that these are ignorant and unlearned men, but we notice that they, they have been with Jesus. They didn't recognize them for their intelligence. Matter of fact, to call them ignorant and unlearned. You know what we do? I don't want anything to do with him. He called me ignorant. Well, you are because you let him control you. You focus on Jesus, you don't have to worry about it. And then lastly, our longings will be satisfied. Let me tell you something, guys. Let me tell you something. Our hearts have a desire that can only be met with Christ. And we keep pouring more of the world in. We keep pouring all this stuff in. If we could just, just you know, change the song selection, if we could do it, listen, it doesn't matter what song we sing. We could get the greatest praise profession. We could bring Chris Tomlin in here in this praise group. We'd have a packed house, but that doesn't mean we're worshiping. You give me some men and women who want to go to the well of living water. And they, they drink of that well. You give me some men and women who come in here who are hungry for God, who'll come in and they'll turn their hearts to God and say, God, I'm here for, to serve you, to bless you. I'm here to praise your name. I'm here to glorify your name. I'm here to serve you. You are my God. And they mean it with their hearts and they do it. You give me a church of people like that, no matter how big or how small, and God will change the community. But God will not change the community of us using the world's methods to move people to manipulate people. No, God will move us when we focus on Jesus Christ. When we become true worshipers of Jesus Christ, then you will see. Eugene talked about them being in prison and singing that song. We don't know. And I'm like Eugene. I wonder about things like that. But whatever it was, it wasn't focused on them. It wasn't focused on the prison. It wasn't saying, woe is me. Oh, Lord, you know, I'm in prison and, uh, you know, I'm just doing this for you. And, you know, I'm serving you and this is what I get. No, they didn't do that. They did not do that. They were glorifying Christ. And, and they were released. And the guys, they, they told them, they said, don't do yourself any harm. We're here. And... They come over and they said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And he said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And just like Eugene said, they went to their house and had a feast, but he didn't tell you the rest of it. And his whole house believed. You know why? Because the man saw Christ. He went to his house, and they saw something different, and he, they, he gave them Christ, and they believed too. Simple. John says, I must decrease, he must increase. He must increase, but I must decrease. We need more of Christ and less of us.
Would you bow with me, please, for prayer? With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, let me ask you this, Pastor.